Hey, Sam. Hey, Nathan. What's up? Not much. I am hanging out at my mom's house, uh, getting ready for yet another You've baby moved. shower. Moved. Yeah. We you have officially moved. Now, I haven't. Temporary. I haven't officially. Technically, it's next week. Uh, technically, it's next week. But we moved in a bunch of stuff already. Um, so this was kind of our first load, and we were able to use our absurd new truck, uh, the 1992 Delica Star <laughs> Wagon, to bring all of the stuff over here. It's awesome. Uh, so a lot has happened. A lot. You got has a happened. new, amazingly cool uh, truck from what? 1993. 92. Yeah. 92. It's not even a truck. It's like an SUV minivan. So it's called a Delica, and I'm Delica. told that it's because that's the a. It's, I guess it's like the Japanese thought it would be fun to try to combine the words delivery and car. Uh, so oh. it's like kind of like half delivery van, half car. That's fascinating. Yeah. So, and I guess they're using, you know, it's funny to me, I didn't get a sense of this until I was in Germany, actually, how common it is for international uh, countries. It sounds like this is what's happened with their decision-making uh, in Mitsubishi in mm-hmm. Japan. Uh, other countries to use English as like a signal or a, like, a, like a sign of fanciness related to a product. Yeah, yeah, it so, could be. Um, I, <laughs> delivery car. I guess they were combining two English words. Yeah, Strange. and uh, I really do wish, I don't know, I wish it was like, all, like everything on the car was in Japanese, but I, I, maybe, I, maybe I can do that uh, later. Now, um, you actually, the driver's side is on the right side, like correct. it would be in the UK or something. And I guess I never knew this, but does J- Japanese, do they, do they drive on the, on the opposite side? Like Japan the, the drives, UK? Okay, yes, I mean. Japan drives on the left and the driver's side is on the right. Yeah. Uh, wow, that's Japan, crazy. Yeah. I never knew that about Japan. I've never been there. But I suppose that's mostly to do with the fact that their largest cities, like nobody is ever driving. There's public transport is yes, so excellent. Exactly. They're always in trains. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, yeah, public transportation really in almost in many, many countries other than uh, the United States is very robust. Um, and especially, yeah, especially uh, uh, Japan. And plus they've got like awesome high speed trains and get you all around the island and everything. Um, well, you said it right there. One reason is that it is an it's island. An island. It's small. And, you know, yeah. the U.S. is so freaking humongous. Yeah. It is shocking that on a state or local government level, there hasn't been more progress in terms of uh, just massive amounts of access to, you know, intercity subways and public transport and stuff like that. Seems but like it would it, make sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, it's and you know, that's one of the actual, I think, huge advantages of living where we do on the East Coast is access to Amtrak. Oh, totally. It's such... It is the way yep. to get up and down the East Coast if you're heading to New York or anything outside of like a two or three hour drive and, and you need to get to another major city like that. That's your answer. Right I agree. So I feel cool. like it's for some reason, I feel like it's been getting more. I guess it's well, it's gotten easier with like apps and stuff to like be, be able to like purchase tickets and get on like yep. get on uh, a train and just go. Um, wherever you need to go like that's happened for us a few times where we've been like oh should we drive to new york no let's just get on the let's get on the train like and we'll be there in like two hours or three hours or something and don't have um, to pay for parking you don't have to worry about parking don't worry about accidents or driving like it is the way get out and you get to do whatever you want on the train in terms of like be read read a book be on your computer whatever it's so relaxing to like yeah you can you know get through photos or you can like hang 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 out with people this is the future this is the future of i think also being in a car give it another 10 15 years there's going to be a huge i think 
impact and i don't know what the implications honestly are going to be but like when you are able to be in a car and zone out the way you are on a train or Mm -hmm. an airplane Mm -hmm. i actually do wonder if the u.s may leapfrog and save a a ton of money by not having built out train infrastructure uh by betting on self-driving cars because that saves a ton of money and you know i would imagine once and if self-driving cars ever really become what we all think they could um yeah, that that is far more convenient than having to like go to a train station, wait in line, mm-hmm. you know, especially with everybody being sick. Although right. I'm sure <laughs> by by the time self-driving cars are a true reality, no, COVID won't be such a worry anymore. But it is fun. I mean, it, it actually reminds me a lot. Uh, not, and we're going to get on some major tangents. Yeah, this whole talk fine. I can already tell. It reminds me a lot of the U.S.'s uh, and their approach to our approach to payment. And how Europe and basically everywhere else in the world had moved on a decade ago to chips in their credit cards. Yep. And the U.S. was still magnetic swipe, even mm-hmm. though chips were far more secure, far more superior. The yep. U.S., for whatever reason, just I'm sure it was a business thing related to some aspect of having to front the money to roll out the new machines or I don't know. Mm-hmm. But the U.S. was like, no. We're just going to stay magnetic strip from literally like the 60s. Yep. Or, no, no. They, they came um, with those in the 90s, I think. I think up until the like early 90s, they still did the uh, – oh, remember the – Yeah, the um, – Yeah, the, the imprint the on imprint. a carbon copy. <laughs> yeah, you had to put – you you put your credit card onto like this this flat thing and you like run um, – uh, what is yeah. it? Like a – the thing over it that it's like, like imp- a carbon copy creates yeah, an imprint like, on the carbon copy paper so I you mean, can be that, like this it was this was this guy's credit card that came into my business i really wonder how they dealt with scammers like it seems like it would be so, oh, so easy, easy to, yeah to do but anyway um that really like in in the end i think like argument can be made that that was justified in holding off until the next phase which was nfc right you know wireless touch and in the u.s waiting for that to really take hold before rolling out a huge um overhaul of the entire infrastructure yes um you know and so maybe that'll play out again with with in terms of uh, mass transportation versus uh self-driving cars but at the same time you can fit so many people on a single bus or a single yeah. train versus putting them all in their own individual cars that uh it, it's it's a stretch to, to try and justify it here yeah but, i was fascinated uh, to learn that in the i guess early 1900s general motors i guess it was early and mid 1900s general motors which was a new sort of fledgling company that has like, you know, was like moving on from horse and carriage to these fancy new, you know, vehicles <laughs> would go around to major cities and they would buy the rail networks and they would buy the, um, they would, they would buy the, tr- the trams in cities and they would dismantle them and replace them with buses and yeah. cars. Eventually the government, you know, caught up to that and, um, you know, find them almost nothing, uh, but, you know, basically started some antitrust things so that they couldn't do that anymore. But I can't help but imagine what a, what a world would be like if, if America had set up starting in the 1900s, like epic rail systems between every major city and then tram networks, subways, and public transportation setups, including like electric trams and everything in major cities and in basically all cities. And it would, you know, less, way less people would need cars. 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think of, of a lot of my friends in New York that like don't have cars. They have never needed them because they, you know, New York, you can just either get a taxi or you can yeah. just take the subway anywhere uh, yep. and then hop on Amtrak and go any, into to any other city that you need to go to. And it's fascinating it's to, awesome think to think the about the development of, of like infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Obviously people major in this and study it and, and it's an entire career path, but uh, you know, civil engineering and whatnot, but the, it's fascinating to think about um, how you need to balance uh, you know, intercity transit with actual affordable housing mm-hmm. uh, and then people raising families and what's conducive to those. Right. And, Oh, there's so much that goes into it. And then, yeah, where the technology is is heading in a way that makes the most sense so that you're not wasting your money investing in something that's going to be obsolete or, you know, just exactly. underutilized. It's, uh, it's tough. But yeah. it does uh, sort of make me think about what uh, Elon Musk is doing with the boring company trying yeah. to go underground. I heard he is has, I think, been approved to do some underground tunneling in Miami. Yeah, in Florida. Interesting. Yeah. And it's uh, apparently not going to cost is, that much. Yeah, well, that's the whole thing is that they sort of, I think, started the boring company from from ground zero uh, in terms of building their own borers, <laughs> drilling machines, and uh, you know are able to do it far more cheaply and efficiently than than most or basically any other company. Interesting. Thing is, uh, this has been now almost I feel like a solid five or six years of like this city approved Elon Musk to do this. Like this happened even here between Maryland yeah. or Baltimore, Baltimore and DC. And DC. It's like, yeah, okay, I haven't actually seen other than some promotional things sort of in LA I haven't seen anything that has me believing that this is going to alleviate any real like problems <laughs> in terms of rush hour or or what have you but you yeah. know it's it's cool to think about and it is it is also interesting considering the impact of covid has changed everything and I, again like dude driving in DC has never been like I, I feel like I'm back in like 1993 yeah. or something in terms of yep like the the amount of traffic that I'm yep. dealing with. Like I remember when I came back from college and I like was driving or I guess I can't no, I guess I was like almost out of high school. Started realizing like, there is just so much traffic. Every time I get on the road, it's like a standstill everywhere. And then COVID hit, you know, fast forward 15 years, COVID hits. I'm loving driving. Like I can get anywhere, anytime, no like without really even having to think about traffic. Um, in fact, I was almost late to a shoot a, a week and a half ago because I was like, oh, there's like, there's not going to be any traffic <laughs> at 8 a.m. on a Friday morning. Like, and, and there was only like five minutes of traffic, but, uh, you know, and I was like, I was like right on time, but you know, to the shoot, but it was really funny. I was like, oh, I, I have not had to even consider traffic, uh, for the past full year, um, pretty much yeah, uh, or, yeah it's well, been great yeah eight eight nine months circling back to the actual point it's kind of funny thinking how much covid has changed things and the impact on businesses in dc in maryland has been extreme and um you know people aren't going into work as much and they're and even after covid they're not going to go back to work either uh it's 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 so much easier now that corporate structures have like built out an infrastructure for um, working from home. Yeah. A lot of people are just going to stay working from home. So now I'm thinking maybe the uh, boring project is obsolete. Is you know, COVID has rendered that obsolete too. So. I don't know because I mean, 
I don't know about the population growth in the U.S. really from a hard number standpoint, but I do feel like every 10 years, there's a crap ton more people <laughs> around than there were before with just everybody getting older, you know, all these people having you know, two or three kids and then they have two, three, like everybody. I just feel like there's so many people. It's a lot of um, people. That, yeah. And, but you're right. But, you know, who knows what the heck's yes. going to happen? I'm waiting for the real unknown consequence of of the the yeah, seismic shift of people no longer commuting and uh commercial real estate obviously I, I just can't imagine it's doing very well but like what is what is the real economic fallout going to be from this huge shift in people's uh yeah transition to working from home and um and not traveling it i mean can't be like you said good for, it cannot be good for small businesses that kind of uh or, or or think about uh, food trucks, those kinds of things. Like they must be totally crushed. And and I mean, however, yeah, as a food truck, you are yeah, worried you, about people eating there, but you don't have that saturation. Like no matter true. how appealing it is yeah. as a as a business to not have to deal with people eating indoors or what have you, those food trucks, I, I can't imagine they're doing well. There, well, there's no many many restaurants just in general including food trucks oh, yeah. uh, are really struggling in the winter just because you know people aren't going oh, no, outside but i think i think once uh summer rolls around spring and summer rolls around i think if food trucks can can like go into like hibernation and like hunker down and um you know survive uh yeah. then they can they can probably thrive in kind of summer. like uh, wedding photographers kind of like wedding photographers <laughs> Uh, but here's the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing I'm wondering is mm-hmm. when you know people are mostly vaccinated and and things start to sort of resume, with all these uh, people now working from home or working remotely way more often, I have to imagine. Yeah, you know, I keep eyeing that Airbnb stock mm-hmm. because w- who isn't going to book a trip somewhere like it, 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 and and just just to go not for a vacation but just because they simply can and they want to of course get away because they've been stuck at home for a year but also because they they can actually travel full-time now because they work wherever they want to yeah (laughs) i i I feel like yeah airbnb is just totally primed to um skyrocket but yeah yeah i mean just that yeah, right there. Um, me and Abby are considering once we once we have the kid after like a couple of a uh, couple of months. So I guess like I guess three or four months from now, we're still we're still basically considering going across the country and visiting Abby's family in California with the Star Wagon. Yeah. Well, they are you know on the on the West Coast they're like super paranoid about COVID. So we can't be hanging out with people on the way or like staying in hotels or anything. So right. on the way we are going to either camp or we're gonna get Airbnbs. And Airbnbs just make the most sense. Like if you think about it, uh they are clean, they are private, and they are flexible. I think at the end of the day people just like variety they're and, interesting and they're, exact, and they're interesting like yeah. and you kind of never know what you're going to get it's always a little bit of an event of an adventure and even even weird ones like we stayed at a really weird airbnb in florence last time we were in italy and uh it was terrible like they had like 16 air fresheners in the building of of a literally of a room of like a four room unit and yeah. the whole place just was like horrible to stay in but it was funny like we you know we went you know looking back on it we're like oh, i remember that time you know we were 
we were forced to just be outside the entire time in Florence because our Airbnb sucked. And then for every one of those, there's always, there's also like a, oh my God, remember that amazing Airbnb we stayed at, you know, at X place. It's just so much fun. And I think, I agree. I think in the, in COVID times, man, Airbnb is the way to go for sure. It, it does seem, but I do wonder if it's the, the biggest risk as a company, I suppose, is the accelerated um, uh, legislation and, and regulation around yeah. them. Because, yeah. you know, when you have a bunch of Airbnb, it, it, it's so devastating to, in a lot of ways, I think, uh, it's the, one of the driving forces behind the housing crisis, uh, Airbnb, both Airbnb and people who would have otherwise sold uh, holding on to a property to yep. make money off of it as an Airbnb, and also in a lot of these major cities, especially West Coast-based, uh, foreign investment in condos and such, just tons, especially Chinese in cities oh, like Vancouver, yeah. uh, well, really everywhere, like Chinese investment, people literally buy homes and don't do anything with them. It's purely a, just a goblin pl- and... place to park the money and have it grow outside of the Chinese um, government's control. Interesting. And uh, so that, that's that been, you know, there's so many points of potential regulation. But the thing is, um, yeah, it, at the end of the day, Airbnb is an international company, and it's not like it's all going to come down all at once. So I think as things ebb and flow and regulations come out in some places and others, as a whole, Airbnb is going to uh, continue to grow, uh, you know, just healthily. Like with with a lot of health, yeah. <laughs> I don't know the, the right word. Robustly, Robustly. Uh, they're going to continue to grow, uh, even though it's crazy. Because around this time last year, I remember listening to a couple tech podcasts talking about Airbnb basically having to take out uh, like a line of credit uh, that would almost always only happen for companies that um, this particular vehicle for for getting. Uh, money was really like life support for companies right. it was like the last thing you would do and uh you know they made it through and i'm I'm thinking yeah as an investment it might be sort of an interesting uh thing to, to keep an eye on although it, it i think doubled uh the ipo value doubled on day one uh, <laughs> so maybe it's a little overvalued right now but um, um speaking of companies yeah uh, let's go yeah, ahead and get into it. I set you up well for that segue. Uh, <laughs> investing. Investing. Investing for dummies uh, with a person who invests well and a person who invests whatever. Uh, <laughs> and um, let's talk GME. Let's talk let's about talk what the stock. hell happened this week <laughs> and GameStop. last week. What do you think happened, Nathan? I know what happened. I'm curious what you think Oh, happened. you know what happened. I do know. Okay. I think what happened is a um, large number of wacko Redditors uh, got together and found a way to create a short squeeze. Um, they did it, uh, and then they held on for way too long and got <laughs> carried away. And, um, and then the stock went down to a normal you know, area. And some people think that there's a, a possible additional short squeeze that could happen. Uh, but, but that, that, that's it. That's what happened. It's, it's an amazing, uh, coming together of a lot of different threads that, that 
were able to be intertwined and woven to create a, a beautiful tapestry mm-hmm. of a story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, like, it is insane how many things had to come together at just the right time for this to explode in the way that it did. Um, now, I I was late. I, I didn't ever take a position. I, I have ridden the ride of trying to to catch the upswing of a stock um, via crypto going crazy and then ridden the ride down, uh, you know, as, as things have crashed and, and realized uh, before we get in more into what specifically happened with GameStop. But at the end of the day, I've realized that trying to make a guess, even a really accurate or informed guess mm-hmm. about a stock uh, or, or, you know, a crypto coin or what crypto have you. Crypto or stock, yeah. Buying that thing and holding it and hoping that it grows over time is a really is, – is not investing. It's not. It, you are putting your money into something that is going to change in value. Yes. But the, the biggest mistake I made early on uh, trying to chase something like GME via – like I said, I did this more along the lines of crypto mm-hmm. – was that you know I was – under the impression that, okay, I, okay, I think I'm in early enough. I'm going to buy, and it's going to go up. Yep. And it's going to be great because I can sell at any time. Yep. And I'm going to you know, know when I've made enough and, and be happy with my investment and get out. The problem with that approach to investing is that even if you're right, which is already a slim chance that yep. that's going to be the case, but even if you were right in your investment of GME, say you bought it 30 bucks like a month ago before it really, you know, went to 300 plus the the problem the trick isn't actually being right on the on the upswing the trick and the problem to solve is knowing when to get out in a way that you feel good exactly because that's not going to happen never you will not be at the very very peak it's likely that it's you it. will sell yes, impossible, uh, well after it started to tank a good healthy amount um, out of pure panic or uh, just because you're, you're done. And so you're left with uh, this ride that you have absolutely no control over. Yep. And you're left with a feeling, no matter what happens, likely no matter what happens, that, that, you, that is, is unsatisfying. Correct. That you you didn't sell at the top, like oh at least I didn't like yeah okay I sold at two fifty, uh, like it's just Im- it's an impossible thing and I'm convinced more than ever that it's an impossible thing to to solve. You need a strategy in your investments by buying uh, something like uh, ETFs, which are basically just mm-hmm. funds of that are collections of other individual stocks all in one nice little bundle um, that then you can hold and is sort of it's sort of managed for you in a way that is meant to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, but or or any other, there's tons of different strategies you can follow in, in terms of investing. But this idea of, okay, I'm going to buy, like buy one, one stock in a company, yeah. or even 10 stocks in various different companies and hold them and then know when to sell uh, or no, and then ha- you know, sell later. And I'm just going to know when I've made enough money to get out like you aren't going to know when. No, because, <laughs> and yeah, there, there, it that is that. a viable way to make money, but it's not a consistent way to make money in a responsible sort of predictable way that matters for like your actual growing your your nest egg yeah. or growing money you want to use now. Right. So what happened with GME was a pure 100% gamble. Yes. Uh past I would say the $30 mark. Yep. 
And it's yeah. a gamble that paid off for anybody that sold after it started to go up. And for anybody left holding, it, it ended up just kind of being a, you know, a bad move. It's, it's crazy. So the guy that sort of was the catalyst, I would say, for this entire thing blowing up, uh, you've probably heard of him at this point, deep, deep fucking value. Yep. Uh, legend, DFB. right? He's, legend, it's insane that he legend. took his, uh, he, he took his position uh, last year over the summer, I think, 50 grand or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's actually, and this has come out to it makes some people actually upset uh, in the sort of Wall Street, excuse me, Wall Street bets uh, society. Yeah. It's like its own little world now. Yeah. And tr- try and remind me if I ne- never circle back, I want to get to, I want to touch on how uh, uh, the Wall Street bets place, the the subreddit, mm-hmm. really started to have QAnon, like Trumpy vibes. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, and, we can and that was fascinating that. to observe sort of take over. In fact, I would love to somehow touch base with anybody who's like a professional researcher in terms of psychology to, to get their take on this whole situation because it was crazy to see. I monitor, I was up like late into the night monitoring oh, yeah. this whole situation for days on end, nights on end. Me too. And laughing it, my ass off, by the way. Like, I well, mean, yeah. it, was, it was just because of like the lingo that was being thrown around and all of the people that were like, we are holding the line. Like, it was hilarious. Like, I was it, just like literally crying yes. laughing at some of these posts that were yeah. telling people like, you sell when I tell you to sell. Like... <laughs> And like, but he, that's the thing. They become, they 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 have like almost this weird, self fulfilling destiny of becoming what they literally started out as being against. Mm-hmm. It's really weird. Anyway, yeah, very um, anyway, but to circle back, deep deep, this guy uh, Reggie something took his position over the summer purely uh, seeing the uh, situation at GameStop, being a believer in the company mm-hmm. and some of the, the rumors about uh, who what, what new leadership could come in and sort of uh, turn it around. And he took this position. I don't even think he had at the time a firm grasp of a short squeeze being a potential. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's really crazy that it, he became this like genius who, I mean, it was an incredible play, but it, it the story sort of propelled along without him even having yeah. to do anything or say anything into this like oh he's taking now we are taking a stand against the hedge funds that have a short position right. um, in this company that is betting that the company is going to continue to decline and take all their money mm-hmm. and it's going to be the greatest transfer least, of wealth well, no, ever experienced co- on Wall Street at least cost them money yeah 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 um, yes which did actually happen and they lost you know, 70 to $90 billion, apparently. Uh, no. So that's the, that's the funny thing. The, the big fund that was early on, uh, sort of the, the prime target, it was called Melvin Capital. Yeah, Melvin. There's one guy who runs, is sort of in charge of that. And it's, it's a big hedge fund. So I'm sure there's plenty of employees, but they had a uh, position called a put position um, that had $50 million worth of shares. That was... That was the only short position that was set to expire uh, January like twenty something twenty third, and the way puts and options work is it's really confusing to just like talk about, especially since yeah, neither of us are experts. And go I, on, you know, go into it. It, it's it gets really confusing. But essentially, the their short quote short position was ownership of this put that 
literally expired um, January, I don't know the exact date. I think it was in the 20s. So it was like sort of after all this stuff really even take off in the in the greater you know society picture, right. whatever you want to define what happened to it i don't i mean it wasn't just on social media it was everywhere right yeah. and so the what what's interesting is this idea that uh hedge funds had a huge position in uh shorting gamestop is, is 100 only a rumor you actually wouldn't even be able to figure that out you can see the overall numbers of how many sh- quote short short holders there short are holders, in a uh, yeah. in a stock but you have no idea unless the holder of that stock makes it public and known you don't know who is actually doing that and melvin capital had a filing in november that does show a 50 million dollar put position on gamestop that was set to expire january something or another and as a general rule i i've taken a deep dive i didn't know a lot about how hedge funds operate but they're very disciplined. They're not like day traders in terms of uh, the, one of the popular narratives on Wall Street Bets was that they double down in their short position. These these uh, uh, hedge funds are so arrogant, so confident. We can actually look at the short float and they've doubled down on their positions. This is going to make the short squeeze even worse. You know, the stock's going to get a, a thousand dollars a share. Right. No, that's not what happens at all. Disciplined hedge funds, which are the vast majority of them, if the, any of them you know, are to remain successful, literally revisit a trade when they when it goes against them, even 5%. Um, and then they almost always uh, hedge or roll get, get out of that trade when it turns against them about 10%. So Melvin Capital, the rumor is that they lost 50% of value. Mm-hmm. But what they're actually saying when you see that in the headlines or in any article is they lost 50%, potentially up to 50% of that one position, which is a fifty million dollar put, which is which could is be maybe could be a lot of money, million but dollars, but that's nothing. For... Which is nowhere near. Um, no, they, they lost more than fifty million dollars, I'm sure, but uh, because the way options work, mm-hmm. you can oh, um, right, right. you can lose more it's than options, what you put in yeah. easily. But uh, the thing is. There are tons of signals uh, with uh, other hedge funds, uh, for example, buying into or, or loaning uh, Melvin Capital, uh, basically giving them an, an infusion of cash, which is something you would never do with a failing hedge fund. Right. Um, they're totally fine. Uh, but the the prevailing narrative, the thing that like, really surfaced through the top that you could not avoid uh, was this idea that they are stealing money, putting these hedge funds out of business, like you know, buy a share and hold for the cause, right? Um, which is a really fascinating, like intoxicating story yeah, to, totally. to buy into. But at the end of the day, people seem to be forgetting that an epic metric fuck ton of people are getting hurt in this process, or eventually will. There are so many, uh, you know, young 20 year old kids, what when you were 20, what was your fastest, largest access to to money that you could possibly get your hands on? Think about that. Like what when you were twenty, what was that? What was the vehicle for getting uh, a lot of money really fast? You need it now. Like actual money, either Cash. borrowing it uh, yep. from parents or maybe opening a line of credit yep. or something. Exactly. Um, uh, this is a situation with a ton of you know really empowered young people uh, that don't have a lot of savings and capital 
uh, generally. I mean, some of them certainly do, but most, I guarantee you, most of the people that bought into GameStop yeah, they don't have much did it to with, work with, with borrowed money. Yeah, they, 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 borrowed. They, they did it with student, literal student loan money, stimulus money, certainly, 100%. That money's... That's how, yeah, that's what, that's what we ended up doing. We, we, put, exactly. we put some of the stimulus money in there. So here's... So that is going to create a world of hurt. And now, you know, there's the upside is that a lot of, I think, the people that took the most risk were probably younger. And so they have a lot of recovery time. But, you know, it's just compounding a really bad situation when you're already needing to loan money to get the capital to make a risky investment. You are getting hurt from two sides now exactly just one. and we've... when it inevitably crashes and you sell at right. the wrong time <laughs> right and um, and you've you touched on this earlier but there's and and i've told you this before there's only a, there's there's really only like three or maybe four ways that crypto or stock investments can really go uh psychologically and it's that you either didn't buy and you missed out so you feel bad you did buy but it didn't really do anything so you're kind of like well why did i do that it you did buy, but it went down, and now you feel terrible because it went down. <laughs> or it went yes. up, and you 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 sold, but then it kept going up, or it did something different, and now you're feeling like, well, what if I had held on? That is, and and coming to grips with that idea and understanding that is a way to be like, okay, if I know that, then I can make an investment like this, or I can, you know, I can put money into this. And be okay with whatever happens. Um, and I can say, like, if it goes down, well, we put in enough money to lose, um, that we were okay losing. If it goes up, we get out, and we feel happy about the money that we made, even if it keeps going up. I've had to learn this the hard way a lot of times, with uh, specifically with, like, Stellar Lumens. Um, <laughs> and to the point where I had to, to literally text you and be like sam the next time i tell you that i'm like changing my like crypto position just just tell me to do the exact opposite of what i tell you that i'm about to do (laughs) but Um, see you feel like that only because there's only two directions it can go it can go against you it can lower in price or it can raise in price so you remember more often when it goes against you right but it's a literal coin toss as to whether or not you're going to be right or wrong and on a, on a bet, especially when it comes to crypto, right? And what I what I saw in these uh, posts on Reddit was a lot of people not understanding that and just saying like, "It's going to go up, it's going to go up." I'm taking out a loan. I'm going. I'm throwing in more money. Um, you know, buy at the dip. Uh, you know, when it goes down, buy more. You know, and some people made a little bit of money on it. Some people made a lot of money on it. Um, but mm-hmm. many people, a lot of money. And here's the here's the thing. They, also, yeah. this, this makes me think every time you say that a lot of people made a lot of money, it always makes me think about this. That's awesome for those people. Yeah. First of all, how many of those people do you think are going to uh, maintain that win mm-hmm. <laughs> into something right. meaningful and long term? Do you think that if you turned $50,000 into $800,000 mm-hmm. that you would never touch the stock market again? No, oh, hell no. You're going to you're going to take a portion right of those winnings in. and start playing again. Yeah, which 100%. is well, which is kind of fine because you've made that money. This is extra bonus money. Um, yep. Go ahead but, and you but, know. But when so much of it rides on just being right via a, a gamble, even mm. if you can somehow t- trick yourself into thinking that you've done enough due diligence that you made the right bet and it was for a reason because right. you uh, knew what you were doing, you don't. Especially uh, and, right. and okay, it, you may occasionally when it comes to a certain stock related trade uh, as that has some at least pretend connection Mm -hmm. to fundamental 
value of a company doing well or not. But crypto is 100%, I'm convinced now more than ever, uh, essentially just a pyramid scheme of people. Now, that maybe that's the wrong thing to attribute it to, but it is really just uh, people buying it uh, for a cheaper price and then selling it to people uh, at a higher price, just purely based on sentiment. Right. Um, and occasionally you will get right with, uh, you will be right with enough people rallying around a particular crypto coin at the right time that it happens to go up, but you will also be wrong. Anyway, my point is how many people are going to actually maintain and turn that into a long-term um, strategy of, of growing their money more. In, in fact, what's likely to happen is they're going to take that a portion of that winnings and say, okay, I'm going to be disciplined now. I'm going to take only 100000 of my $800,000 uh, you know, investments mm-hmm. and, and try the same things again with that money. Sure. But as that, as it doesn't start to work over and over, um, they're going to be chasing those previous all-time highs. They're going to remember what their account balance looked like at $800,000 and and be emotionally driven to seek that out more and more. And at the end of the day, they are pure, you are likely purely uh, playing with chance. And, and I'm not saying that crypto doesn't have real value, especially as a technology, or sure. that it won't continue to go up. The trick and the problem is being on the right side of of the the times that it goes up versus down right. time and time again is is just nearly impossible which is why you hear you know and you may even know some people that have a lot of money from crypto winnings uh-huh. but you at least I have never heard of or come across somebody who has made a sustainable living from doing it no. regularly I only I really only ever heard about people uh, making tons of crypto all almost all of it early on uh, before many people even knew how to use crypto um, or buy it. And they went on to like take that money and like use it on like one thing. Like I, I know a friend of mine, he like got into Stellar Lumens like really early and uh, made like $70,000 or something like that. Paid off his wife's student loans and that was it. Never touched it again. Right. And I was like, that's how, I mean, if you if you can do that, uh, cool, but uh, th- but otherwise, like I don't know of yeah, I don't know of people going in and being like, oh, I'm, you know, and I saw on Coinbase this week, I was on there, uh, and they have this new thing where it's like, hey, you know, you should just be putting in, you know, ten dollars a week or a hundred dollars a day or you know, mm. uh, to you know, that's a better strategy. It's called um, what's it called? Um, oh, you mean like yeah, yeah, yeah. averaging up your uh, your or cost averaging down average. your your cost overall. average, yeah, yeah cost okay, average. Yeah. So yeah, dollar cost averaging, dollar mm-hmm. cost averaging, and so you get to, and and I'm thinking, I'm sitting there thinking like that sounds terrible because you could throw in a hundred dollars, you know, one Ethereum at a hundred dollars, um, and then it could go up to a thousand the next next day. You put in a hundred dollars, and you get point one uh you know ethereum and then it goes back down and it's just i don't know to me that's the thing dumb. that i hate to see though with that yeah as tempting as it is to think about crypto as this ever-growing place of decentralized like new new currency for the modern age it's unlike it's unlikely that it's never going to it, that it's going to continue to be as unregulated as it has been right and my my fear with crypto these days and why i'm completely out of any in all positions it within it 
mm-hmm. is that uh, particularly uh, with uh, the Biden administration, they're going to start to start to actually clamp down a, in a bit more of a serious way. It would only take one press conference of them saying, hey, we're going to start to regulate crypto. It's, yeah, that, it's way too out of hand. And like, it, it you know, is a threat to uh, the U.S. dollar or something like that. Um, it's it's going to take one press conference before that just sends everything plummeting. And I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend weeks or days of investing little bits of money here and there, hundreds of dollars to slowly grow something or sometimes get lucky with fast growth and just be in that market for, for one shoe to drop and have it be all completely. To, yeah, to be completely gone. Yeah. Leveled. That is something that uh, is, I think, taking a process and investing slowly. Um, or, or quickly or whatever. That is, you want to be in the stock market uh, connected to actual companies and a, a, diverse, a diverse array of companies. Um, there's no reason crypto should be uh, really worth anything other than yeah. people deeming it a value, uh, just like gold, um, and and then it, and it being that. But, but the problem is uh, Bitcoin... It, isn't gold is regulated there gold has existed forever it is a right. thing it's that a people thing. understand and governments control and it has a, a use and a purpose and it fits into how things operate bitcoin does not um which is fine it's exciting yeah, it's, fine. it's cool but it's there's just this with your own personal money unless this is play money uh it's a really scary place to put anything and keep anything meaningful in your life uh life-changing money unless you're willing to gamble with it which uh, i'm just not but to, yeah. to take it back to uh, some of the GME talk, mm-hmm. which is basically what happened. I don't know if you were, I, I can't remember, I guess it was two weekends ago mm-hmm. where there was like this, it wasn't just GameStop that was starting to get um, yeah, talked up. It was AMC, AMC. In, in early January also started to spike in yeah. volatility and started to rise in, in its, uh, the stock price started to rise. Uh, Blackberry, it was all these uh, shorted sort of retro companies yeah. that seemed to have no future were suddenly started starting to, to rise in value and have these little like splintered off factions of support from this groundswell of Wall Street bets, retail investors, Yep, which was crazy to see playing out in real life. Yeah. And it was insane to me to see the amount of money being moved by these, this groundswell of, of, retail investors yeah it was the first time in my life other than again crypto stuff that i i got a true sense like a pulse on exactly how much money could be uh sort of funneled into a particular area of focus yeah it just was um, all like a. it was literally yeah like people tunneling a bunch of of money into a, like one single idea Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely saw lots of people that like sold at the right times and made money. But now I'm starting <laughs> to think like a lot of those people lost their money. And now oh, yeah. that money has been funneled from the poor right to the rich. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, or it's been, you know, maybe exchange, who knows where it all actually ends up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would be curious, I, I think it, it's probably most likely that it ends up in the hands of other retail investors, which is fine. That's yeah, great. That's but God, there's so much to unpack here. One of yeah. the things I, I really was bewildered by was the uh, the narrative of like buy and hold, no matter what we're going to hold. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, that is the thing that is going to ruin you. Like th- this is the problem with this kind of investing where you, you think you're in early enough that it rises. But the, the, the discipline of holding is what gets you to 
an appreciated value in a stock, but mm-hmm. it's what is going to make you lose everything. Like that right. discipline can't be what is the driving force behind your investment or you're going to lose. If yeah. you buy and hold forever, the point is to make money. Yeah. So you have to cash out. If the prevailing narrative that everybody is telling you that you've convinced yourself of is that you have to hold forever, mm. that is exactly where you're going to lose money. That cannot be the driving fundamental force behind your investment play. Right. It can't because that's what's going to burn you. <laughs> right. And like, the, I think it was like a, it was like a mob mentality or like an army mentality of like, we are exactly. all holding this line until it goes up to like 5,000. But and that then, line was being moved constantly. Right. First it was what, 100, then it was 1,000, then it was 5,000. No, no, no. It was, it, was, uh, it, was, it was all playing around with the, well, at least in the early, early uh, upswing. They were playing around with 420 and 69. Right, so right. what I found really interesting, and I actually screen grabbed it, the moment... Uh, it hit four hundred and twenty dollars and sixty nine cents. Mm-hmm. It actually stayed there for uh, like sixty seconds or so. Then it shot up to like four hundred and sixty, and it has crashed ever since. Yeah, interesting. So I, I'm convinced that that was sold. the original sort of meme joke point. That's funny. a lot of the original holders that bought in, you know, when it was sub thirty dollar days ended up cashing out then because that was the original thing and the group grew so quickly it was detached from that original idea so detached from it that uh, nobody was even aware that that was like an original goal and the goalpost had continued to be moved so many times that Nobody knew that that was the thing anymore. But the original people that bought in, once they sell, uh, it starts a, a serious, you know, downward uh, cascade of, mm-hmm. of situation. The other thing is, yeah. if at, at the most simplest argument, okay, mm-hmm. if GameStop was going to spike and continue to to rise in value to these unimaginable, you know, returns, and and just go 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 up up up. It's not like hedge funds all operate at so like it, they don't operate in like a, a group, a bubble of like we're all hedge funds. We're going to help each other out. There are comp- competing hedge funds, right? And a competitor to Melvin or whatever um, hedge funds had a short position, um, a competitor would almost certainly, if it was a good play, swoop in and try and also maximize that pain to take out their competitor. Right. They, they wouldn't just sit by the sidelines and no, let Wall Street No, they would try to or, snipe the competitor. They completely come in and try and overhaul things. And uh, it is a general rule for hedge funds to uh, never run into like a, a fire situation. Never, ever would you right. put a, a well-run hedge fund enter that kind of position. But if it was truly a sound, um, you know, if the DD, the due diligence was truly sound in what was occurring here, another hedge fund would have come in and um, taken over that position, which probably even happened. Probably. I don't know. Uh, That's probably why it's been kind of slowly um, crashing. A lot of people, I think, picture it as, as though it crashed quickly but in my estimation it's it actually rose way 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 faster than right. it crashed the oh, crash has been substantial but it's 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 been a couple painful two weeks for some people that bought <laughs> yes oh totally I yeah i've yeah. you know i've been watching it go down so we threw in a few bucks and um that we were 100 percent okay losing um and yeah we watched it spike up we did not sell we held it and um we just have watched, yeah, literally watched it over the last two weeks go from like, you know, 200 down to like 100, down to like 60, down to like 50, and then sort of hovering around 60. 
and um, it's it's just been kind of funny uh, to to watch. And all your money go away. Yeah, yeah, it's, um... yeah. Just very slow. It's like a slow chipping away of money. It's like very funny to watch, honestly. Um, yeah, it, it, throughout all of this mess of a conversation uh, by two complete non-experts in this you know arena. I hope that it, it, this was a realization again that I had with crypto. I ended up making a, a fair amount of money investing in seller lumens back in the day. Yeah. I, I got in at like three cents and then it, I sold along the way, you know, it peaked up at like 90 cents at, at like one point and I sold yeah, along the way when it was on its downward slope. And, you know, I was so convinced that in the idea of, of crypto as a technology, blah, 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 blah. I was, I was completely in it and saw the, the, everything play out from other friends of mine that I invested and held on forever that the it's a fundamental a fundamentally flawed perspective to think you're going to buy and hold until it goes up uh, no matter what you're going to hold that cannot be your your motivating no um, it has to be that you are going to if you're going to buy it you have to buy it and you have to sell it when it goes up and that's it you have to like you have to take profits along the way you have for to sure. take like I saw one guy I was like oh that's how you do it he was like he was like, I bought, he bought like $11,000 worth of like GME oh, at like 30. And okay. you know, this is a guy who got a lucky and was okay. smart enough to use it, use his money correctly. He bought it at like, uh, you know, 30 or 50 or something. Sold uh, like 20 shares at 200, made all his money back. He still had like 50 left over. So he sold another 30 when it hit about 420 um, uh, and at 425. He sold it for, he sold, sold another 30 at 425, made tons of money. Then sold it again when it went, when it was going back down, he sold the last remaining 20 at 325. So he ended up making, after all said and done, you know, he ended up making something like 30,000 bucks off of an $11,000 investment. And it's like, damn, that's pretty good. Uh, but at the same time, I don't know. I mean, this is a guy who really knew, had a strategy for like getting out. He didn't sit there being like, I'm going to hold, uh, until it hits a thousand. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's one of the lucky ones because yeah, he was, he was smart in sort of ish and sort of the way that he sold his stuff. And he was like, I'm going to make my money back. Then I can play around with whatever happens next. But for every one of those people, there's, probably a hundred uh oh thousands yeah there's eight million people in that subreddit now almost every single one of them probably bought Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then beyond that how many people actually bought that have no idea what reddit even is like there's a there's a ton so um and then yeah you know this all collides with yet another fascinating thread in this story of uh gamified sort of apps that provide really frictionless easy access to buying into the stock market via an app like Robinhood. Right. You mentioned Coinbase, sort of the most popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coinbase and Robinhood are probably the two most popular, Coinbase being yep. for crypto and Robinhood for primarily stocks, but also but some also crypto. crypto. Which, by the and, way, I, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I had some money in Robinhood. I had $16 in Robinhood for some reason, and I was trying to get it out, and Robinhood would not let me take it out so that's scary I, yeah so i was like well screw this so i just bought 16 dollars worth of dogecoin <laughs> ah. we haven't talked like, on, about dogecoin but you know what how do you feel about the, the what Robinhood 
did. They were the first and most public to do uh, it in I, terms of uh, removing the buy button. You could only sell. Uh, yeah, uh, but they weren't I, the only ones. I, just I in case anybody's listening to this and hasn't isn't following it very closely, they were far from the only ones that did this. But what what do you feel? What was your reaction to uh, that I, situation? So being being sort of part of that subreddit extravaganza, I view it as, or at least I currently view it as, kind of a kind of a punch in the face as all these people wanted to invest in this thing and they were instant like suddenly bam bar came down they couldn't buy anything and as a result i think that was a directly resulted in the stock price stopping uh at at the height that it did and not continuing to go up um and so i think that that cost people well, first of all, I think it costs a lot of people winnings uh, in terms of like some people that would have sold, say it got, say it hit a thousand because Robinhood didn't do anything. Those people would have sold and they would have made money and, and it would have been awesome and epic and whatever. Um, but it also, on the other hand, it did save a lot of people because they, at that point they're like, I can't buy it. So they couldn't lose the money that eventually they ended up losing. But I still, I still look at it as, uh, as, I still don't, I don't think that it was hundred, I guess, I mean, I guess it was legal, but, uh, I think that it was a kind of a horrifying thing to happen right as you're like, Oh, I want to do this thing. We're all doing this thing. We're trying this big protest together. We're trying to like do something about the, you know, rich people's blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden the clamp came down and you couldn't do anything. And Robin Hood uh, was responsible for that. And I think that there, you know, should be some kind of consequences for it, whether it's uh, regulation or like an investigation or whatever. They are being sued uh, in a class action lawsuit by a bunch of people like, you know, the people that were on the subreddit basically saying like, you guys screwed us. What you did was horrible and illegal and whatever. Um, So that's not at all what happened. (laughs) Unfortunately, just so you know, I only have like two minutes, so... I'll sum this up super quickly. Sum it up. Uh, Robinhood got shut down because they couldn't calculate something called the VAR, value at risk, uh, and a few other key sort of financial metrics that you're required to keep track of as a brokerage. Mm -hmm. Um, They couldn't guarantee their numbers. They literally, like, the banks and their other trading partners called them up and said... Uh, you know, what's your VAR uh, today, basically. And they were like, uh, we'll, we'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. And because of that, uh, they got heavily restricted. And they were actually asked to um, present $3 billion, which is like way beyond what they've ever had to cover right. um, as, as to, to protect themselves from, from risk. Mm-hmm. Um, so normally, you know, say they would actually normally only need like $300 million to to cover any potential risk uh, for them as a brokerage. But they were because they couldn't calculate their VAR, they were basically being thrown a number that was way more than was ever going to be needed, $3 billion. Um, what the reason the mechanics of this even played out is specifically because of regulation put into place post-2008 financial crisis. Right. Bear Stearns and the Lehman Brothers both collapsed uh, because regulation like this wasn't put in place. Um, it's hilarious and shocking to me that uh, politicians like AOC... Elizabeth Warren are calling for an investigation, blah, blah, blah. The regulation put into place uh, 
was specifically done by the Democratic Party, and not to get too political, uh, mm-hmm. because no politician seems to be understanding what the hell is going on here. Right. These regulations are actually what protect the market from a systemic collapse and risk in the way that it happened in 2008. Right. People, brokerages basically needing to have enough money. Now, Robinhood is fundamentally flawed in that they didn't have that money just sitting in the bank. And some brokers, like Fidelity and whatnot, that have trillions of dollars at their disposal, had no problem and didn't have to limit themselves. But uh, these smaller brokerages, which there are dozens now that mostly run primarily as apps, um, are actually protecting the the wider financial market from collapse by having to uh, basically hedge against like massive risk like this. Right. So in a lot of ways, I think this is totally fine. I thought it was totally great. And we can kind of wrap up there since I know you need to go. But yeah, um, yeah. It, it's crazy to me how the story and, and everything is kind of feeding on itself to create this narrative that uh, actually isn't that accurate. Right, and somewhat <laughs> to, detached from reality, yeah. Which, um, you know, we didn't even get into the, the uh, QAnon Trumpish kind of style conspiracies that a lot of people are uh, uh, starting to... Yeah, kind of fall yeah, prey to. Well, let's let's continue this conversation. I've got to head out. Um, got a Zoom meeting to get on, get on to. Cool. Um, All right, but uh, I'll check you later. All right, thanks. All right, bye. Whoop. Whoop. bye.